Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Exposing CRT, defeating Liz Cheney, and a check-in on Hotel California's latest BS proposal. That's all next. The left wants you to believe critical race theory is all about equality, inclusion, diversity, and civil rights. The left, as usual, is lying to you. The left also maintains that anyone who criticizes CRT is against free speech and the First Amendment, but at the same time, the CRT movement and the rabid banshees who advocate it attempt to shut down the mere discussion of it by labeling any and everyone, even people of color who oppose it, as racist. That's their go-to and favorite label, of course. Everything and everyone that goes against the leftist Marxist cult is something ist. Racist, sexist, you name it. No. BS enough. We aren't racist or sexist or any ist beyond realist. And to be real, CRT isn't a theory at all. It's an indoctrination manual and a progress-sucking tumor that does nothing but manifest white guilt and encourage the black victimhood complex. And if that doesn't sound productive to you, it's because it isn't. These CRT pushers, just like the fringe radicals who push socialism, transgenderism, and the like, want you to feel like the radical for questioning them. If CRT was indeed a theory, academic or otherwise, it would be open to challenge and critique, but it's not. Even people of color are told they can't question it, told by white liberals, no less. And the person who tells my little pecan-colored kids that they're somehow oppressed based on the color of their skin would be absolutely wrong and absolutely at war with me. And I think that's the same for every parent. What the mask showed us is that the parents, the most powerful group of people in our country, that they're taking back the wheel. Putting critical race theory into our classrooms is taking our nation in the wrong direction. Racism in America would by and large be dead today if it were not for certain people and institutions keeping it on life support. And sadly, sadly, very sadly, one of those institutions is the American education system. Yeah, it's no coincidence those shutting down the conversation against CRT are white liberals. White liberals who spend a whole hell of a lot of time preaching to black people in an effort to convince them they are oppressed, fragile, and victimized. If that sounds actually oppressive and racist to you, it's because it for damn sure is. CRT is protected just like every other idiotic brainchild the left devises to divide and conquer us. Stop driving a barbed wire wedge between Americans and passing it off as social justice or education. White liberals... Hate yourselves on your own time. Keep your crap out of our schools and our military. Joining me next is a doctor, an author, and a concerned American who is sounding the alarm on COT for the racist BS it is. Dr. Goldfarb is on deck. Critical race theory is creeping into every corner of American life. It's the ill-conceived notion that everything revolves around race, oppression, and victimhood. 
but it goes beyond just teaching syllabi and curriculum. Schools, corporations, and entire professions are now using CRT to lower standards and push quotas over merit. Now, that might be tolerable at the Chipotle, but when this cancerous theory started creeping into medical school of all places, my next guest sounded the alarm. Here now is a board-certified kidney specialist and former professor and associate dean at the UPenn School of Medicine, Dr. Goldfarb. Doctor, thank you for being with me and sounding the alarm on this. I know many in your profession are unwilling to do so, so we appreciate your bravery. Well, thank you very much. Great to be with you. So you have to tell me what's going on here. You know, we hear about CRT. We hear about it in elementary schools, middle schools, high schools. We know that it's at the collegiate level. But now I'm hearing that 40 medical schools are foregoing standardized testing to ensure equity, scholarships to minorities, not admitting white people. And this is all based around this notion of CRT. What is going on? No, that's right. Uh, and there's a, a notion out there that in order for Black patients to get optimum medical care, they need to have a cohort of black physicians who are treating them. I think that's the real basis for all this. And we've done a lot of research to show that this is absolutely untrue. And what you said is exactly right. Over 40 medical schools have determined that there ought to be a pathway for students, typically minority students, to enter medical school if they simply you know, keep up sort of modestly good grades in, in college skip the, the famous M, MCAT, which is a very difficult uh, and challenging uh, standardized test that's been used in the past to show that students can actually do the work in medical school. Then, of course, the problem has been that in order to have students that are perhaps less qualified to successfully complete medical school, the standards within medical school have tended to be lowered. So the net effect is that there's a training of a large number of individuals, I'm afraid, that really are less qualified than they've been in the past. So I have to and stop you there. I have to stop you there, doctor, because I have to go back and reiterate something that you just said. So you're telling me that the MCAT, for those that are familiar with the medical profession and those that have gone to medical school, it is an incredibly difficult test that's supposed to be kind of a barometer of how well you're going to do in medical school. And is everybody able to forego that standardized testing or just certain people based on race? How is this breaking down in practice? It's not entirely based on race, but it's mostly based on race. It mostly it's been as a, to create a pathway for students that perform less well as a group on that exam. And unfortunately, minority students do perform less well, but perhaps a standard deviation less well than the, than white students that are admitted to medical school. Now there are those that say that these exams are racist, but on the other hand, these exams are standardized tests. They're objective tests, and and I must say that. Medical, the treatment of patients really does involve the sort of mental processes that are involved in test taking. You have to handle lots of information. You have to come up with the right answer for what's wrong with the patient. So the fact that students are performing less well in these exams is an important issue. It's not just a, a trivial matter of passing some sort of barrier to get into medical school. This does define uh, certain mental characteristics of the way you approach problems and the way you deal with problems. And and the, the idea that this could be foregone uh, and letting people into medical school without demonstrating these kinds of capabilities, I think is a real problem. Yeah, no kidding, it's a real problem. Like I said in my opening here, it's okay if you wanna play these social experiments in certain jobs and in certain areas of life, but the medical profession certainly isn't one of those areas where you want somebody to be your doctor simply because they filled a quota and not because they met the level needed, the academic and the professional level needed to actually be in that position. But what is the effect now on white kids 
who perform well, that want to go to medical school, that want to be doctors, are they now being penalized for being white in practice? Is that what's happening? Well, I, I would turn it around the other way. If you're if you're of a, a minority group, either uh, African-American or Latino or Native American, and you perform at a certain level in your college, and if you happen to take the MCAT exam at a certain level, that level that will allow you to be accepted into medical school is substantially below the level that Asian students or white students have to achieve in order for them to get into medical school. So there really is uh, an advantage to these individuals. And, you know, some of them are brilliant and some of them are incredibly talented, but some of them aren't. And the question is, you know, have we contaminated the ones that are really brilliant by this kind of approach? And have we admitted students that really aren't capable of doing the work at the same level as some of the other students because of the, deci the decision to forego the exams. Well, you brought up another good point, uh, two things that I wanna touch on what you said. One, I think it's actually incredibly insulting and condescending and patronizing to tell students of color that they're getting in because they're filling a quota, not because of their skill set, not because of their abilities, but because they are there to, to bring diversity and to fill some kind of uh, a, a niche that they need to fill. That's a problem number one. I think it's insulting. I think it's ridiculous. But furthermore, you brought up another good point. It is white and it's Asian students. You know, a while back there was a lawsuit with Asian students saying, listen, you guys aren't even admitting us to schools like you should be because we're performing, you know, far better than, than all the students. And there's been this barrier that they have to overcome. So this is a whole mess. And this is what starts happening when you bring affirmative action in instead of actual merit. But I'm wondering have we gotten ourselves into a position where this is so deep-rooted now and everything is so woke that there's no turning back and this is going to be the way that it is? Or do you think people are going to wake up? What do you foresee? I think it's a it's a potential problem. We, we all talk about this. We're very concerned that, you know, has, has this become so embedded in, in academic life that there is no turning back? On the other hand, um, I, I, I was, uh, I've told some of my friends that a, a new... Uh, director of one of the healthcare systems of Philadelphia, Jefferson Health, um, is has just been recruited. And he wrote a piece, uh, or at least there was an interview of him, in one of the online medical journals. And he went through all of the uh, uh, challenges that he sees for this very large academic uh, health system in Philadelphia. And not once did he mention anything about anti-racism, about CRT, about any of these issues that, you know, have started to contaminate medical education. So I'm hoping that, you know, the economic issues and the need to provide the op optimal care for patients is going to reemerge as the most important issue in healthcare. And that, um, you know, this idea that we have to discriminate, we have to discriminate against one group of patients in order to, to benefit another group of patients, which is really the essence of anti-racism, that these ideas are going to start to be rejected. And, you know, we've tried very hard. My organization, Do No Harm, uh, medicine.org um, has tried very hard through some legislative and, and legal means to try to reverse some of these issues. We've actually sued the federal government over a, a plan that's been implemented in Medicare uh, that required uh, uh, primary care physicians to institute some sort of anti-racist protocols in their practices, which basically means discrimination. It means discriminating in favor of one group of people at the expense of another group of people, which is un-American and wrong and, and really illegal even. So um, so our organization has tried hard, and I think some of these efforts will start to bear fruit. 
I, I certainly hope that you're right because this indoctrination model is starting younger and younger and we don't want to have doctors practicing on patients that are there because they filled a quota, not because they're there because they are the best of the best. Nobody wants that. That doesn't benefit anybody. It doesn't benefit patients of any color, of any race, of any identification, of any political affiliation. So thank you for what you're doing in sounding the alarm and those like you in academia who are sounding the alarm because I know it's not always an easy thing to do. You're going to be hit with a lot of labels called a racist, a whole mess of things, but it's about standing up for what's right. And we appreciate you for doing it. And thank you for being with me. Thank you very much. All righty. And don't forget, you can catch the entire show on outkick.com as well as exclusive content, but still ahead. She went rhino hunting and took home a big prize defeating Liz Cheney. Wyoming primary victor Harriet Hageman joins me next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Much of the chagrin of Kevin Costner, Dick Cheney, and what I'm sure amounted to dozens of supporters, Liz Cheney was defeated in Wyoming's Republican primary just a few short and sweet weeks ago. But who is the woman behind the Trump endorsement, behind the 30 percentage point victory, behind the poaching of Rhino Liz? Well, we're going to find out because she joins me now, Wyoming congressional candidate and winner, Harriet Hagman. Harriet, thank you so much for being with me. Tommy, thank you for having me. I loved your introduction. Oh, well, congratulations. I know that you've been hearing this, you know, right, left, up and down, but we are so happy your victory. You know, we all knew it was going to happen, but it was a really sweet day for you and for all of us watching. But I know that a lot of your interviews have really centered around Liz Cheney because you defeated Liz Cheney. You got that Trump endorsement. But I want to know, do you think that your victory signals something that's going to happen in the midterms? the way of the mega voter, the America first voter. Are we going to see the red wave that everybody's been waiting for? I absolutely believe that we are. I think that the scramble we're seeing in the press right now as they attempt to try to gaslight us with the idea that the Democrats aren't going to keep the House or do very well, I just don't think that that's reality. The people out in the real world in Wyoming, South Dakota, Montana, Nebraska, they are fed up with what's going on in Washington, D.C. That's why they voted for me. They're tired of the uh, putting every other country in the world first. They are America first people, and I really do 
do believe we're going to see a red wave. But not only a red wave, I think we're seeing the type of people like I am that really do care about this country and are willing to come back here to Washington, D.C. and fight for what has made America great and fight to make America great again. You know, that Trump endorsement was obviously seismic for you, but there's a lot of pundits out there, especially on the left, that are saying that Trump's endorsement doesn't really matter anymore, that he's old news, they're throwing him under the bus. Of course, the Liz Cheney and the Adam Kinzingers of the world really wish that was the case, but I think we're seeing something different, especially at that FBI raid. I think that the Make America Great Again folks, I think they're coming back out in force, and I think they are very fired up for November. Well, I do too, Tommy, and I think there's a couple things that happen in my race that indicates that. What the polling was showing ahead of our race or at the head of the primary was that I was going to beat Liz Cheney by about 30 points. It actually was 38 points. And I think that what happened was with the raid, uh, the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago, I think what people realized is how really dramatically some of our institutions have gone by the wayside, how they are, they're doing the wrong things. And I think that that, that raid was a wake up call, maybe to perhaps some independents who were sitting on the fence who realized that we have a very thin line here between tyranny and freedom. And we've got to step up and we've got to push back and fight against this. So the Trump endorsement was absolutely fantastic for me. It obviously was very important in Wyoming. But the other thing that I think President Trump has done is he's also recruited very good candidates. It's not just about the endorsement. It's about the fact that we are America first candidates who want to fight for the issues that are important to the people in our respective states. In Wyoming, energy independence, uh, protecting our border, fighting against the horrible inflation, trying to address the the over the incre increasing oil and gas costs, the, the gasoline costs. So those are the things that are resonating. But one of the things Donald Trump did is he actually has endorsed what I think are some really high quality candidates. Uh, I agree with you. And I'm from South Dakota, so I know what people in the heartland care about. But I think the coastal elites, mm -hmm. sometimes they underestimate people like you, people like me, people like from where we're from. And they think that we don't matter much. Of course, your race, everybody had their eyes on it because it was Liz Cheney. But other than that, to me at least, it feels like we have an influx of blue state people fleeing to our wonderful red states. But then they get there and they don't understand what we care about. And sometimes they don't vote for the things that we care about. Are you seeing that in Wyoming as well? Because I know my entire family is still in South Dakota. I'm here in Tennessee, another red state. And I feel like a lot of these people coming in, they just don't get the forgotten Americans. Well, that's always the risk. And what I will say is that Wyoming is the least populated state in the nation. And I kind of like that. But in addition to which, as I was traveling, one of the things that I observed were there were a lot of people who were fleeing lockdown states. And those tended to be the blue states. And so I met a lot of people who came in from uh, California, Oregon, and Washington. But they seem to have the right philosophy because they are fleeing the states that have the wrong philosophy. So yes, we're getting some people, I would say, especially in the Jackson Hole area. I hate to say that because I love Jackson, but they're definitely a lot more liberal people in Teton County. Uh, but the remainder of the state, I met a lot of people who were coming in who actually do believe in Wyoming values and the America First agenda. That's why they were coming to Wyoming. So I welcome folks like that. For those of you who want to turn Wyoming into Oregon or California, I, I would just kind of request that maybe you look elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad that you brought that up because there was a certain Hollywood actor 
that of course his show is based in Montana, but my Montana and Wyoming are very similar, very close. Kevin Costner, who at the last minute he whipped out a he supports Liz Cheney's shirt. When you saw that, what did you think? And even more so, what did your constituents, your future constituents think when they saw that? Because I know there were so many Yellowstone fans out there that saw that shirt and were thinking to themselves, that is not John Dutton. That's not the John Dutton that we know, that's for sure. Well, it's interesting that that's what Liz Cheney has had to resort to as someone like Kevin Costner. I like him as an actor. I think he's a fine actor. But keep in mind, he was a Pete Buttigieg and a Bernie Sanders supporter and supported Joe Biden. So when you're a Republican who has to scrape the bottom of the barrel in terms of political support like that, Perhaps you're going down the wrong road. So people laughed about it. I laughed about it. I thought that it was rather funny. Uh, there were a awful lot of memes that came out of that blank white t-shirt. Maybe they ought to do something a little different next time. But, you know, it's just an example of the coastal elite thinking that they ought to be able to meddle in our elections, and it didn't work. And I didn't think it would work. I wasn't worried that it would work. I, I think it's a sad commentary on the Cheney name and on the Cheney legacy that that's what she had to resort to. But again, that didn't even work for her. She ended up with 48,000 votes compared to my 113,000. She People in Wyoming don't want her representing us anymore. She betrayed us. It's time to move on. Yeah, a lot of folks on the Democrat side, especially in the mainstream media, all of a sudden they really started to love the Cheneys. And I thought to myself, this is rather <laughs> odd because, you know, I was young. I was in elementary school, actually, when George Bush was president. And I remember how much they hated Dick Cheney. But now they, they love Liz Cheney. They love Dick Cheney. What's that about, do you think? The sudden love affair with the anti-Trumpers, the never-Trumpers out there. The media just can't make up their mind. Well, I think very simply that the media like Republicans that attack Republicans. That's been the history. I think Mitt Romney is a perfect example of that. He was a big supporter of Liz Cheney's and held some fundraisers for her and, and donated money and endorsed her. But, but Mitt Romney is irrelevant unless he attacks Republicans. And that's where Liz Cheney is as well. You probably even noticed this week, the press is already saying, well, we don't really think that Liz Cheney is necessarily presidential material. But prior to the primary, that's definitely what they were focusing on. Again, for the press and for the liberals, the only useful Republicans are the ones that will attack the Republican Party and undermine our agenda and our platform. I think it's no more complicated than that. Uh, she went after Trump, so they liked her, but they don't like her politics, or at least what her politics used to be. Uh, I think that Liz Cheney is probably a thing in the past. She's got a couple more months in office, and then I, I think that you'll see her riding into the sunset, perhaps at CNN or something like that, but I don't think she's going to have much of an influence either on Wyoming, which she didn't before, uh, or the, the United States as a whole. Uh, I don't think so either. I'm sure she'll get a nice lobbying gig somewhere and make a whole lot of money because that's that's the way of the Cheneys and the way a lot of the rhinos go, but we're happy to see them leave and we're all good and fine with that. I, I wonder though, how things are gonna shape up in November. And I wonder the attacks that you're gonna confront. And I wonder, I do believe you're gonna be elected into office. I think you're gonna represent the people of Wyoming. But we've seen this pattern. When we have a strong conservative woman like yourself go to Washington DC, oftentimes an America first candidate like you that doesn't really play the game or fit the mold. People like a Lauren, Lauren Boebert, for example. The left really, really comes after them, tries to make a mockery of them. We've seen them do it with Sarah Palin, of course, Lauren Boebert, really any conservative woman out there. 
what do you think is going to happen to you and what do you think they're going to try to pull when I believe you're elected to office? Oh, I think that you'll see the same uh, type of, of attacks against me as you have other conservative women. It's the only thing they have in their playbook because they're not capable of debating us on the merits. And so that's what they do. They attack whether it's the way that we look or the way that we may speak or something along those things that are along those lines that are really quite shallow. Uh, but sit down and have a debate with me. They're not going to do that. They know that they can't. I've been a trial attorney for 30 plus years. I've tried a lot of different cases. I've taken on the federal gov government repeatedly and won. So it's going to be interesting to see how they treat me. One of the things they may very well do is just simply have a blackout, not cover what I do, not cover what I say, not cover the bills that I put forward because they don't want to have the discussion of why is a conservative re Republican woman doing what she's doing? What is her philosophy and why? And why has she aligned herself with the conservatives in the Republican Party? That's a debate that the liberals and the media don't want to have. They don't want to have that discussion because they know what probably won't go well for them. There's a lot of reasons as to why I'm conservative, and one of them is because I truly believe in our Constitution and our form of government. I believe that we're the freest, most incredible nation that's ever existed in the history of the world, and it's because of our Constitution and because of individual responsibility, because of individual freedom, because we don't work for the government, the government works for us. Those are the kinds of discussions that a lot of times the liberals don't want to have because they don't have a retort to it. So it'll be interesting to see how they treat me but the fact is I'm being sent back here to Washington, D.C. by the folks of Wyoming. Those are the, the people that I am accountable to. I have committed to being accountable to them, and I'm going to pursue an agenda that takes care of them, protects them, and furthers their interests. Well, listen, you are tough as nails, and I am so proud to have you uh, fighting for Wyoming, fighting for the heartland, fighting for the forgotten Americans because we matter. And if we didn't matter, all the liberals wouldn't be coming into our states to try to change and ruin them. So we got to hold on tight. I know you're going to do just that for Wyoming. So thank you so much for being with me. Congratulations again. And we look forward to seeing what you're going to do. Tommy, it's been so wonderful to visit with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. All righty, still ahead. The homeless problem in California worsens by the day, but this new L.A. solution is so L.A. it makes my eye twitch. Find out that new solution to the homeless crisis because my final thoughts are next. Just when you thought L.A. couldn't stick its finger any further in the eye of good, decent, and hardworking people, they've come up with a new solution to the homeless crisis, and it's a real doozy. And I have some final thoughts. The homeless crisis in L.A. is no doubt a problem. On any given night, over 60,000 people are homeless, which I suppose also includes those who choose to sleep in tents on formerly world-class beaches or on the stoops of homes and businesses. But at any rate, it's an issue. But now, Woke L.A. has a solution for that. Force hotels to house them, the homeless, the freelance humans, if you will. This initiative will be on mail-in and in-person ballots in 2024, and if voters give it the green light, L.A. hotels from the grimy all the way to the glitzy will be forced to report vacancies and then welcome homeless people who have vouchers from the city. The hotels will be paid market rate for the rooms, and if you haven't guessed who's footing that bill, well, it's you L.A. taxpayers, of course. You know, it's worth noting that much of L.A.'s homeless population is composed of tweakers, addicts, and those with severe mental illness. Oh, and that's not to mention the felons and sex offenders who are on the streets rather than behind bars thanks to California's felon coddling policies. 
Oh, and P.S. A lot of those freelance individuals choose to be on the streets or in tents because guess what? Homeless shelters have rules against drugs, crime, and fornicating. And if you haven't been to California recently or figured this out yet, I can tell you the homeless shelters have more rules than the rest of L.A. That's for damn sure. So imagine saving up to spend the night at a luxury hotel or even a mediocre hotel and being next door to that kind of crap. Yeah, I know that sounds harsh, but too bad. The residents and visitors of L.A. pay way too freaking much to live there, and it's consistently the hardworking, non-addict, non-felons that get the short end of the stick, the kick in the teeth, the homeless excrement on the shoe. L.A. County already budgets $800 million towards the homeless crisis, and taxpayers voted in a $1.2 billion bond for homeless housing But yet, the best idea the county's Democrats can come up with is to force hotel guests to shack up next to homeless people? Newsflash, San Francisco already tried this, and spoiler alert, it didn't work. I don't want to give Angelinos any ideas, but this little experiment in San Francisco wasn't only disgusting and dangerous, a public records investigation revealed that the Department of Public Health in San Francisco approved $3,795.98 to buy the homeless guests vodka and beer. You know, the bare necessities. The funding came from the public treasury, for God's sake. But they also tried this experiment of housing the homeless in hotels for 30 days in 2018 when they moved an entire homeless colony posted up in the Santa Ana Riverbed to clean it of the filth. And guess what happened after those 30 days were up? Many of the hotel rooms were left trashed, filthy, and full of needles. L.A. voters have the power to prevent this BS from happening, but I'm not too optimistic given California's propensity for voting for stupid crap and people like that guy, for example. I feel badly for the decent people left in L.A. because you shouldn't have to live that way. And those are my final thoughts. Make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget you can catch the entire show on Outkick.com as well as exclusive content. From Nashville, God bless and take care.